we punch above our weight class. And when you look at the the philanthropic activity in this region compared to the social or the economic base, like it's remarkable, right? It's 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 one of the main. I mean, it's it's the fundamental one of the fundamental reasons we did what we did in 2008 because we just saw how passionate people are about supporting things that they love in this community. Why not do it and make a ton of money at the same time? But but that's who we are. You know, that, that should be our slogan, right? Punch above our weight class, right? Because <laughs> we're always underestimated what we tend to deliver. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Bill Manby, the founding partner at Interstate Fusion Ventures. An entrepreneur at heart, Bill grew up in Northeast Ohio and has always been passionate about working every day to make his home better through investments, philanthropy, and whatever else it takes. In late 2016, this vision led to the creation of his first fund, Akron Fusion Ventures, which later rebranded as Interstate Fusion Ventures. While Bill knew the benefits of living in Northeast Ohio and the strong entrepreneurial spirit here, he felt he needed to build relationships with partners on the coast. So he set out on a cross-country road trip to introduce this vision to venture capital partners and investors in Silicon Valley. Along the way, this vision grew not only to seed opportunities for Northeast Ohio-based startups, but also get on the cap table of some of the best coastal startups who might benefit from access to Northeast Ohio. It also allowed fund investors the ability to gain access to unique and otherwise inaccessible investment opportunities. Bill founded Interstate Fusion Ventures because for years, he witnessed many local organizations chart escape routes from the Midwest observing a pattern of businesses, talent, ideas, and capital that leave for established coastal tech hubs under an impression that doing so was the only path to success. With the belief that success can be achieved here, Interstate Fusion Ventures is the vehicle to prove it, connecting the coast to Northeast Ohio by building an innovative two-way street where capital, talent, and knowledge can flow continuously, attracting more investment and focus on startups in Northeast Ohio. I really enjoyed learning more about Bill's unique perspective and approach to tackling some of the challenges and supporting the local ecosystem writ large. So please enjoy my conversation with Bill Manby after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. Before we had hit record here, you had mentioned perception is reality and and all in this context of 
of entrepreneurship and what it is actually like to build a company here in the area. And I, I know we have kind of a, a kindred passion, I'll, I'll call it, for trying to champion entrepreneurship in this area. And so I, I'd love to just start there and understand how it is that you came to find yourself in that kind of situation with, with this kind of mentality. Yep. I mean, you want me to take it from like zero to today, right? How it happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, so grew up in Akron. Actually was in an entrepreneurial family. My dad ran, ran a business. He actually owned a pretty good financial services, securities business. So I actually went to Indiana University. You know, main reason was I had one of the top undergrad business programs in the country. And I made my visits and there were two beautiful women walking up the street. My dad put his arm around me and he said, your decision's made, isn't it? And I said, yep, here's where I'm going. You know, I can't, can't get much better than this. I started It's funny because someone asked me about, you know, when was your first like entrepreneurial experience? And I kind of thought back because I never really assessed it, right? I wasn't keeping score, but back when my dad had this building, he had me doing all the landscaping and the lawn mowing and everything. And I'll never forget, I had a 21 inch lawn boy and a plug-in weed whacker to cover like seven acres. So I negotiated, it was my first negotiation, a larger <laughs> mower and a gas powered, you know, weed whacker so I could kind of get the job done sooner. And then when I was 16 and I could drive, I got sick of mowing grass. So I proposed having me be able to hire some people to mow the grass, right? And I wanted to come inside and learn the business. And this will date myself, but I remember the first program I learned was Lotus 123. So that is not even something people know nowadays. So Going into business school, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. Ultimately, I wanted to come work with my father's company. Spent a couple years in Cleveland when I graduated. Met my wife there. She was a year younger. Dragged her kicking and screaming back to Akron, Ohio. Um, you know, and uh, now she loves it. We we love everything about it. But uh, it wasn't a place I don't think she thought she was going to be. So I worked with my father for a number of years. Um, we had some great success, but we also it was tough working together. That business is really kind of measured on success. And when your success isn't always aligning, it can put some stressors on it. So I ended up starting my own firm, still worked with my dad, still to this day, share a building and some staff with him, but ended up with another partner down in North Carolina and developed a strategy that we took all over the country. Um, and I won't get into the details of the strategy, but a lot of my customers were banks, et cetera. And it was a really great learning experience. You know, I was on the speaking circuit. I met a lot of people, but after time went on, I started getting further and further removed from the the client, right? Like I was involved in the deal, but now I was two or three degrees separated. It wasn't really what I enjoyed doing as much. I liked working with the people, you know, mm -hmm. that I was that I was helping. And then as luck would have it, you know, 2008 hit, right? So the market crashed, the bank, everything, you know, the, everything I was doing was now basically going to be put on hold while people try to figure out, you know, while the dust settled. I now had three kids. Traveling was not nearly as much fun as it used to be. Um, I started getting pretty involved in some philanthropic opportunities, raising money for some local charities and stuff. And I was kind of looking at, you know, back to, I think we discussed earlier, what are you, you know, assessing your life, right? Where do you want to go? And I, I said, look, I'm out here making all this money for people not in Northeast Ohio, right? Like that's, that's what that was all built around. Yet what I really care about is my backyard and I and I want my three kids to stay here, right? Like my ultimate motivation was completely self-serving, right? Like I, I, I want to find a way to have my kids stay in Northeast Ohio and I don't want it because I force it. I want it because this is a place they should be. 
And that was sort of the impetus for us, you know, starting what I would call, you know, really becoming this entrepreneur, fundraiser, et cetera. So it started as us looking at projects. So I, I was fortunate enough to have two amazing partners that were great clients and friends of mine, Mike Rademacher and Vicky Tiff, the joint board. We established a private investment group called Acquire at that point. Then we were going to go start facilitating, you know, local investments where we could do good and do well, but, you know, make an impact on top of making money. And then I also had a uh, investment banking relationship with the group out of New York. Uh, so we started raising money for deals or I started raising money for deals anywhere from, you know, taking an assisted living facility from dirt to, to sold to a third party that, that people, you know, invested in to a medical device company who exited last year that I helped raise some money for. But the big turning point was um, a company called Segment who actually exited last year as well. So that was good. We had a good year from those two perspectives. But they were an Akron-based fintech company um, who was right on the edge of like, you know, the the big growth turn, right? Mm -hmm. But all of the capital that they all the money that they looked to raise and all the investors and VCs were willing to write checks. It came with, you know, that's fine. We're, we're going to invest, but we want you to move to Boston, right? Or we want you to move to San Francisco or Chicago. And they really wanted to stay here. And, and that really became like suddenly overnight, I'm raising money for a fintech company. Um, and it kind of got us into the startup space. Right. And as it turns out, we, I was really good at it. Right. We probably raised them, you know, too much money too fast and not with a whole lot of guideposts on it. But the biggest issue was, you know, I had a lot of my investors, some of them first time investors in this type of space involved, and that we didn't really have any insight into the company. And the founder and I are still great friends to this day. We actually just invested in a deal that he's involved in. And it ultimately ended up, you know, turning out well. But that's when I had some investors approach me and say, hey, what do you, what do you think about launching a fund, right? So that we could start doing this but do it in a little bit more intentional manner, have a little bit more control, you know, spread money around into different deals and then pick and choose where they want to add on. And that was late 2016, actually, that we decided to do that. And in fact, it was Splash Financial and Waste Bits. I know two people that you, those, those were the two investments that we, we did initially where we made our initial close. And then as, again, as luck would have it, kind of literally all hell was breaking loose in Akron. So being an Akron-based company, you know, the ecosystem here was really important to what we were trying to do. I mean, oh, yeah. obviously oh, yeah. we're Northeast Ohio focused, but but Akron was transitioning, right? Like Pasqualic had been mayor here for, you know, almost 40 years. The Bounce Innovation Hub, which is a fabulous facility now, was, you know, accelerator that wasn't being really attended to. So we actually pumped the brakes, went back to our LPs and said, hey, look, we'd like to take some time and really figure this out. And then at that same time period, like actually around 2018, there was uh, the, the Comeback Cities tour that Congressman Ryan organized with his counterpart out of San Francisco. And that's what really kind of launched us into what what has now come all the way into interstate fusion. So hope that wasn't too long of an answer, but I, I, I can get into the details of What's developed after that? But I think that answered the how the heck did you get here part. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for for taking us through that. I think it it sets the stage quite well for for what we can we can talk about from there. I do have a, a lot of questions. I think maybe the the best one to start with is 
because I, I think it's it's part and parcel of of any fund is you know what is the the thesis that you have right and so as you kind of went through this whole journey and honed in on what is now what is now interstate fusion venture what was that vision and how, how did it how did it come to be that you know knowing that your motivations are right how do how do we create the opportunity for our children to, to stay in the area. Yeah, 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 no, no. And and again, in the in that and that thesis changed, right? So so at what I will say is in, in 2018, so the city approached me to come represent, you know, kind of what was going on in the startup system here in Akron. So for those that don't know, the Comeback Cities tour, for lack of a better description, it was was Congressman Ryan and he coordinated, I think it was you know, about 20 VCs that came out of Silicon Valley. They literally hopped on a bus and I think they started in Youngstown, came to Akron, went up to Detroit. It was like a Rust Belt tour of what they did for a few days. And so my role was to be part of the crowd to say, hey, here's what's going on in Akron. And um, and there was a couple, you know, founders there. Uh, There was some of the city was represented. But literally, I'll never forget on that night, they were interviewing CEOs for the bounce deal. So there wasn't really any representation from the accelerator or anybody because they were actually tied up in that. And you know, without getting into detail, I really didn't like how that meeting went, you know, when they're looking around the room saying, hey, where do you go for deal flow? And, you know, I got guys like Blake Squires and Rob Heiser saying, "Ah, you know, we talked to Bill, you know, some people think that feels pretty cool. But to me, I was like that. I don't know if that's a good answer. Right. So I, I really made it my goal to make relationships that night that I could then follow up with. So when they they left town, there was a couple um, a number of the VCs that you could kind of tell were sort of leading the room, right? And one in particular was Nathan Pasheen, who runs Unshackled Ventures. And I reached out to him and said, hey, look, there's a lot more going on here than I, I think people realize, right? I don't, I don't know that it was presented the right way, right? We're, you know, but here's what we see, right? And here's the vision of what we feel can be developed between what you guys are doing out there and what we're doing here. And then that for us prompted a tour, like we went out to Silicon Valley and I was lucky enough that Nithin, you know, he identified a number of VCs, a number of, of founders, a number of industry folks, pretty much all of which we still have really, really good relationships with today. In fact, one of them is is part of our team now. And we we just listened, right? And for our perspective, I was lucky Vicky's son, Matt Tift, was an NASCAR racer. So there was a race in Sonoma. So we could host them. It's something that they you know, probably didn't get asked to do a whole lot, a little unique experience. So we, we got a couple of days with a lot of them and we really just listened. And, and what we, you know, listened, which is what we were talking about before the podcast was, you know, they, they really had like two opinions of, of Northeast Ohio. I mean, I'll, the Midwest in general, actually, actually, but Northeast Ohio in particular, and it was either yep. no opinion, like they just didn't think about it or it was negative, but there was really not, you know, at this point in 2018, there wasn't really anybody, and I'm and I'm isolating Silicon Valley because that's where we were, right? That that had unless they had had roots here, right? Which some of them did, and they were saying, "Hey, no, you guys got to listen to these guys." Um, so what we heard really loud and clear was, you know, we got to change that perception, right? But the other thing is, pretty much every VC that was approaching them back then had their thesis was built on. You know, you should invest in the Midwest. We have great companies in the Midwest. We have founders. We have talent. But there was nobody coming to them saying, hey, we want to invest in your companies out here because of what we can bring to the table in the Midwest, right? 
And when, after we got done listening, when we got it, you know, did our chance to talk. Right. And I said, look, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware, but I can sit in my back patio in Akron. And if I had an hour wide blanket, right. That I can throw, like, these are the companies that are there, right. Like they knew Goodyear was, you know, around here, but they didn't know Sherwin Williams was in Cleveland. They didn't know Parker Hannafin was there. They didn't know Progressive was there. They didn't know Smuckers, you know, even though we were all born with, you know, Orville, Ohio, Smuckers, right. They didn't have really any fundamental idea of the corporate infrastructure that was here. They had some idea about healthcare, but it the, but it stopped and started with the clinic, right? So it was either the Cleveland Clinic or there was nothing else. So that was some perception we had to change. But then they had, you know, almost zero concept of the private industry that's here, like the Gojos of the world, right? Like the billion dollar privately run organizations and then lots of hundred million dollar companies, right? So we actually, I think, shocked them by those statements, right? And then, you know, so we sort of pivoted our model at that point to say, hey, look, we we don't envision that we're ever going to be Silicon Valley in Northeast Ohio. And I don't know if I'll ever on my watch rank myself as like one of the top venture capitalists on the planet, right? But I think there's things we can bring to each other, right? And, and our role, so we just fully redefine what our role as a venture fund was in the Midwest to being, yes, we still want to find the best local deals, right? Like I want to, I want to find those and get those exposure to the Midwest or to the, to the coast. But for us to build a portfolio and us to be successful, you know, we got to be able to get out into those investments in Silicon Valley, right? We got to develop those relationships with, with that ecosystem and, and the expanding ecosystems of, you know, Austin and Denver and other places that are going, so that's really where that the model sort of switched to, you know, and, and we were the first in the region that that in probably the Midwest in general that pitched it that way. Right. Where we were saying, hey, look, we're yes, we still feel like there are opportunities in the Midwest and we're going to, you know, we're going to show them to you. But as important for us, like we'd like to see the deals that you have that, you know what, talking to Smuckers because they're a food tech would be a huge deal for them. And, you know, if we get an opportunity to get on your cap table, we will try to make those conversations happen. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of what, uh, repositioned the whole thing. So we went from, you know, being, uh, an acquired growth fund one, you know, being a Northeast Ohio kind of driven thing to, you know, we went to Akron fusion ventures because we did want to keep that connectivity to Akron. We had a couple corporations that were Akron based and then, you know, Phase three is now taking us into the interstate fusion model because we we just realize that that is much much more indicative of what we're doing, right? Trying to pull the coast into Northeast Ohio and also push back out. So I want to expand upon this kind of mutual two way, you know, street kind of framing of of where the focus is now when when you're thinking about how to connect, you know, the coast to Northeast Ohio. And I think it would be really interesting in, in light of that to talk about, you know, the historical precedent of just like regional investing where, you know, maybe the Midwest invests in the Midwest, right? And how, how that can change, right? And, and as part of this two-way street, how much of it is, you know, offering up those kinds of opportunities to the folks you're developing relationships with out on the coasts? While at the same time, can we actually pull coastal resources into the, the region? 
Yeah. And, and again, I, I think, well, first of all, where we are now compared to 2018 is, is vastly different, you know, in a, in a weird way, we'll, we're probably going to benefit from COVID because, you know, prior then it, it wasn't just me trying to compete with people who, who didn't really want to be in the Midwest or Northeast Ohio. Like they actually felt they had to be in certain places and now they know they don't have to be there. And in fact, and to some degree, they don't want to be there. So that's a totally different dynamic that I don't think settled itself yet, right? So, so that that is a challenge that's less of a challenge than before, right? I I think people are much much more open to investing in the Midwest, and that's from a lot of people's efforts, right? Of just educating them as to what's going on here. You know, it's companies like Intel making big bets in Columbus, right? That starts getting everybody's eyeballs you know, focused a little bit differently. But I think from our perspective, at the end of the day, what startups need is customers, right? Like that's that's what is going to drive everything. You know, the badge of honor for raising capital is awesome, but you know, it's it's execution, right? Like it's it's product market fit, proving it and and landing those customers. And I think if there's one thing the Midwest has, you know, we've got those customers, right? Like we have, we, we have huge manufacturing facilities, you know, consumer products, goods, uh, healthcare, right? Like we have huge healthcare arteries in the Midwest. So that's kind of that to us, that was always our pitch, right? Like, like we still are not, you know, a big enough venture fund that our investments making such a dramatic impact, right? That they're really making a do, you know, live or die decision, but, if we can help open avenues to them, you know, because we've got those boots on the ground. And, and that's the thing that we explain is that, um, you know, it's, it's a great region where, you know, the Midwest is humble, we're hardworking, but you know, with that also comes, we're a little guarded, right? So when the new guy comes trotting into town, sometimes we're not so open to that. So, you know, we've emphasized that that's where we can help, right? Like we're here, we're the boots on the ground. We're the ones that have the relationships with these people. So that to me is, I think, the different way of looking at it, you know, it's not just, Hey, you know, we're checks or we're going to, but, but how do we get them? Like, like you think about, I mean, there's, I, there's probably a dozen portfolio companies of, of VCs that I work with that they could end up with their exit just on customers within a couple hours of our house, right? Like the right ones. And that's, I think where our biggest challenge still lies in front of us is how do we get those companies to open up more, to that too, right? Understanding that there's a there's a give and take, there's a risk certainly, right? But there's a huge, huge opportunity because as we're in this, I don't know, I'm not going to call it abyss of the venture world, right? But we're certainly in a in a weird spot. That's a huge, huge advantage if we can if we can structure stuff around it, right? Being able to say, hey, look, we can whether it's even just vetting the technology, right? Like, how do we get more and more startups in front of the corporate world that we live in here. Yeah, I I would love to, we, we could chat a little bit more about that and, and how, how you think we can accomplish this. I mean, I, I've seen some things in practice and, and I, it's really, it's often this point of, you know, something that we do have to offer in the area. And it, I know in, in, in practice, it gets, it gets tricky, but I think there, I think the, the opportunity for it really, really is there. And so I'm curious, how do we unlock that? Yeah. And I, and again, they're, you know, we're jumping around a little bit probably, but, um, you know, I, I can speak a little bit more to Akron just cause I'm here than I can Cleveland and we can yeah. speak in generalities, but 
But I feel, you know, at least Akron in, in general, like a lot of efforts have been made and there still are like there's lots of great people that are, are out supporting and they have great passion and vision behind what's here. I just don't think we've had enough success to get people to believe that it's it's worth staying behind. And 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 I think what's worse than that, we've put a lot of money behind things that haven't worked. So I think a lot of people are skeptical still. You know, we're certainly not wired to to show failure in a startup as a badge of honor, right? Or, you know, it's like a scarlet letter. But, you know, that the statistical, I don't have the actual numbers, but I know that that they're there in favor of it, that even if they failed, a, a founder who's been there and done it before is much better of a bet than, 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 the, than the first time founder, right? And I feel like there's a lot of time around here, and this is you know, regionally, you know, Midwest probably focused. I mean, my partner, Mike, always teased. He said every Midwest city, country or state should be should be the show me state, right? We're all about as soon as you show me and we know that it's there, like then I'll get behind it. And and that's not how this world works, right? Like this, this, and, and I'm not, you know, calling anybody out because I do think there's been a lot of investment made in here, but until they see those results, it's really tough to get them to restructure their thought process, right? And I think that's, what one of our main goals is, is that, you know, we want to be thought of as a balance sheet transaction. An investment in our fund is not a donation, right? It, it's not, it's not economic development. It's not, you know, a thank you. Like we fundamentally get measured on returns, right? That's it. And so, yes, I think we can check a whole lot of other boxes at the same time, but it'd be great to have 10 more of us around here doing it, right? So that we could, you know, spread the wealth, so to speak, right? But I think that's our biggest challenge. And I don't think it's because people don't believe in the region. And I don't think we don't have great. I, I just think they're tentative, right? Like everybody's tentative until they see that big home run again. And then they're like, okay, I got it. But I can't emphasize enough. And I'm, you know, preaching to the choir here. Like we can't wait for that, right? Like there is, there is an unprecedented opportunity, I think, right now in the venture space and for this region in particular. And we, it's also could be an unprecedented fail if we don't take advantage of it because other regions will, right? Like they're, they're going to, they're ahead of us, unfortunately, in some places. So that's, you know, that's what motivates me every day and gets me excited, but it also keeps me up at night, right? Mm. Like it's, it's both. It's like a double-edged sword. Yeah. Well, we can tie it back for a sec here to keep us on, on track um, and, and the work you're doing. But you, you had mentioned already some of the, the companies that you've invested in, uh, Splash, Wastebits, Biome, Tundan, who we've been able to share their, their stories here as well. What, what are you looking for in, in companies and founders when you do invest locally? Yeah, so the first and foremost is, you know, they've got to benefit from, from our model that we've just discussed, right? So I'm not going to beat a dead horse on what that model is. But we also, you know, we, we you know, they got to have industry defining technology, right? Like that's, that's like goes without saying, but strong leadership teams and, and investment partners. That's one of the things that, you know, I think we emphasize as much where we, we recognize that we can't do this alone. So we don't, we're not built to lead deals at this point. It wouldn't be an effective choice for a founder to choose us to lead a deal. So we're always co-investing with either one or multiple partners and, you know, We've done deals that, you know, Microsoft Ventures Arms have led, right? So they're, you know, they're writing $10 million checks compared to our couple hundred thousand. But the, those are 
critical factors for us, not just that the team has good experience and people around them, but that they have investment partners that we can leverage with their resources as well. Now, and I, I don't think we, we said this with as much emphasis prior, this sort of economic struggle, mm-hmm. but proven you know product market fit is almost a must, right? Like the, the ideation stage investment, those, those are going to be tough ones for people to do for a while, I think. It's just you know a risk reward management and lack of capital. As far as stage type stuff, you know, I kind of, we call ourselves seedish. I actually thought I seedish, invented that seedish. term years ago, but I think it's an actual official term now. So we like, you know, we're typically seed investors, but we like, we don't want to be restricted to that. If there's something that we feel like we're very, very strategic or we can bring resources to the table that could really impact like the outcome of this company, we want to be able to lean in a little bit earlier, but we also want to be able to lean in later, right? When, when, when a company is sort of turning the corner and it's de-risk itself, we don't want to not be able to write checks at that stage if it still fits, you know, what we're trying to do. Size check, like usually we're, you know, a couple hundred to 500 in the first stage. And that's largely dependent, you know, on how big our fund gets, right? And then also we try to offer SPVs with every deal that we do. And we've had a lot of participation in those. So typically our check size grows by about 50% on most deals that we do because of our participation with our LPs. But that's, you know, that one sometimes becomes hit or miss. But I think, yeah, yeah, really it's like fit the model, right? Like like the first question we ask is why do you want our money? If there's not a super good answer to that question, you know, we're probably not a right fit. Um, and it doesn't mean that that isn't a good company. It just means we're probably not the right fit for that. When you look at the companies in in your portfolio now, I'd love to hear how the connecting to the coasts and connecting the coasts to Northeast Ohio, you know, thesis kind of plays out in in practice and where you've been able to to leverage some of those connections for for the companies that have, you know, bought into this idea that that is it is important. Yep. Well, so I can't name specifically probably, but but you know, I, I think some of this stuff, I mean, I know it was public uh, I think it was last year. It might have been late the year before, but I know Splash raised a very, very big round, and you know, led by City Ventures and, and groups like that. So, you know, that that's nice sort of proof that hey, we can we can get local companies that can get coastal dollars right for what they're doing. One of our latest deals, Society Brands, you know, they raised a, one of the bigger rounds I think last year from a, a group that is is not in Northeast Ohio as well. A number of the deals, like like Pod Foods, which is a company of ours uh, that's in the the food distribution space, two awesome founders that and and um, you know we got that that was a deal that we got into because of our ability to try to help them in the Midwest as they were expanding from from the West Coast. Um, so we've seen it in you know work in practicality. There's uh, a couple of our companies that are in the industrial space that you know they really sought us out through some potential partners of theirs because they need to get, you know, they know this is an area that they could, to our point before, right, exit off of, right, if they could penetrate it. And now that's kind of, you know, where as we build out fund two, that becomes like a critical phase for us, right, is that that, that model can be proven. And that, that, again, back to our corporate, you know, support, right, in the region, it, it'll probably be tested to some degrees, right, from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, at this point, 
who we've gotten involved with some of the, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, again, it's kind of interesting looking at our investment cadence over the last couple of years. When we initially started, obviously everything was pretty regional, right? And um, you'd love for every deal to, to accelerate like Splash did. But then we kind of spent most of our time out in Silicon Valley in New York. And, and a lot of our deals sort of in the middle were those types of deals. And then as, as the, the environment kind of got out of hand in our mind, as far as valuations were got concerned, you know, late 2021, right? We came back home. Like, we, you know, our last few investments were all more regional investments because, you know, they were priced appropriately. I think that the, the expectations were appropriate. They weren't caught up in all that. And again, it wasn't like we intentionally decided to stop doing deals out there. It just aligned itself that way where it kind of, you know, these were more appropriate, which has helped us, you know, through this process that, you know, because those are the types of companies we've invested in and those are the types of partners that they have, you know, knock on wood, we've still got 21 portfolio companies, right? Which a lot of our VCs can't say at that point. So it, it's a lot of leaning on everybody. Can you help paint a picture for where you're trying to go from here, right? Because I, I think we've understood a lot about where you're coming from. And so what does what Fund 2 look like? What is, you know, you, you mentioned seed-ish is, you know, is, is that kind of the, the sweet zone that you're hoping to, to stay in? What, what does success ultimately look like? What are you hoping to achieve here? Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, that's a good question. So, we, you know, we have like just a, a remarkable group of partners. Uh, we actually did an advisory meeting a couple, almost, I guess it's three weeks ago now, which was really appropriate timing after the SVB thing, right? So, but what was really interesting is, um, you know, we talked about a number of things, but kind of the main focus was, look, what's your guy's opinion? And, and we've got, you know, guys in New York, we got guys in the West Coast on on where we go next, right? And like, is, is now a time to batten down the hatches and wait things out? And, and see how the dust settles, or is now a time to step on the accelerator? Understanding that just because we step on the accelerator doesn't mean it's we're gonna have enough gas, right? But to a, a person in that call, and there was you know 12, 13, I think, they were all like, now's the time to go. And and we will help you in any way we can. And we want you guys to be successful because we have portfolio companies that can benefit from what you're trying to do. So how do we how do we get lift, right? So so I, I guess when you said what does success look like, you know, the first thing is is a big exit, right? Like that 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 defines it. But for us, it would be two types of exits. It'd be a local exit and a coastal exit that would totally pr- sort of prove out the model, right? And then if I'm talking to you in a in a couple of years about fund three, we've probably been successful, right? The icing on the cake for us would be to have way more VC activity in this region develop as a result of it. You know, we have, as I said. Lots of partners that are willing, you know, they want to help in any way they can. The, you know, it, it's it's come down to, hey, Bill, maybe you're better off coming and working at our firm, right? And and taking the mission that you you have, and helping that portion of our portfolio. But we still believe that that this is a place that we can do this, right? So clearly, you know, we we've got a long way to go. We we'd like to raise thirty to forty million bucks, right? We're we're at you know. But we did our first close and we're around five. We just did it at the end of the year so that we could keep making some investments. We're targeting another close in June. But the whole thing, right? Like the whole ecosystem dramatically improving. But for us, you know, it, it really comes down to the show me part, right? So the exits prove out everything else. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, it, 
it it could just tie back to to exits. But if if it does not work out, what do you think would have gone wrong? Like to to play the you know the devil advocate part of this thought experiment, projecting into the future. Like, and what does that more broadly speak to the challenges we face in Northeast Ohio? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think we can go back to what we were discussing earlier about, you know, the, the proof being in the pudding, right? Like it really comes down to, you know, can we deliver on the, the corporate side, right? Not, not just from, cause we're not, we're not, look, we're not raising that kind of money unless we have strong institutional and corporate support for what we're doing, right? Like there's, there's not enough family offices and enough individuals to do that, you know, and, and I'll paraphrase one of my really sharp West Coast guys, but he was talking about the corporate venture world. And we've got a lot of that activity here. And I, and I know a lot of those folks. And, and he said, that, you know, he goes, many times, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, as I said, I'm paraphrasing. He's, he's like the corporate venture struggles because they don't really have the risk tolerance to get deals done. And then they don't have the filter to understand what a reasonable deal is. Right. And then on top of it, you know, there's a lot of resources that have to be thrown to it as opposed to, you know, what are they paying groups like you, Bill, you know, at a 2% management fee to be boots on the ground, bird dogging deals for them at earlier stages than they would ever probably have the time and energy to do and then bringing them to them, right? As opposed to having the vet, the ones that are brought to them. So for us, you know, I think that's where the whole sun rises and sets, right? Can we get this community around what we're doing? And if we can't, we're probably not going to be successful, right? Or we're going to have to be successful in a different way, right? Not, not to, not to compare myself to LeBron, but you know he is from Akron, right? So, but, but you know, I, I fully believe that, you know, if LeBron had not gone to Miami and and where he had the pieces in place, right, to win championships and learn, we might not have seen one in Cleveland, right? Because when he came back, what could LeBron do then, right? He could pull talent to Cleveland, right? unlike he could before we left. We don't want to have to take our toys and go someplace else, right? But we could. And we know that we feel like we could be successful because there's enough value to what we bring. But, I, you know, that's not what we want, right? Like we can do this here. We just, and, and it doesn't take a lot, right? It just takes a better coordinated effort of everybody. And that's, I think, all that we really need. And then again, you know, start checking those boxes, but it's going to be hard to wait for those exits to then say, okay, yeah, no, it makes sense now. We believe. Let's go do it. It might work, right? But I think we've got a big opportunity that we're going to step over. Do you feel it's more of a, a zero sum or positive sum game when you layer on that? You know, it's not just the Midwest that has this opportunity in in front of itself. Uh, or even just Northeast Ohio, but it's it's a lot of these cities across the country that have this entrepreneurial activity, but just not quite at the density of San Francisco or New York. Well, so again, I think that that the zero sum game it affects this region a lot. Like it, it, honestly, we had mentioned you know you had Dan Hampu on um, a couple weeks ago. You know, one what we we're trying before you know he went over to Burton D Morgan. We really, what we felt was a role that was lacking here was someone telling the story of how you support all legs of the stool. Now you can argue over how many there are, right? But there's there's economic development stuff, right? And 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 that is services that are provided by it. 
There's economic development, which is facilities like like Bounce down in Akron. There's venture, right, which is investing in these deals. And then there's, you know, what I will call, you know, really early stage stuff, stuff like the Northeast Ohio Student Venture Funds doing, you know, seeding deals at 10,000 bucks. And I think our problem is, is there's never, to my knowledge, at least, there's not someone out there presenting the story as a whole, right, that says, hey, these, this is not one piece of the pie that everybody has to go fight over, back to your zero-sum game you know, question, right? There's different pies, actually, right, that we can carve from. But they all work together, and they all help achieve you know, an outcome, but, but, but we're not fighting over the same stuff, right? You know, it's kind of back to like, look, some of this stuff should be balance sheet transactions, some should be income statement, right? Some should be, I don't expect to see anything for this, right? Um, and that's kind of where we're stuck sort of in the middle, I think, is that, you know, there's a lot of money that will be given that they're at, that corporate expectations is that they don't get anything from it, right? Like this is their box checker. And then if they're looking at investing in venture, it's checks much, much bigger than we can accept, right? Like we, we, we couldn't take on a $10 million investor. We, it would be, it'd be too big. Like we couldn't afford to spend that much on one vertical. So we kind of, you know, we have to convince them that there is a place in the middle, right? That'll ultimately maybe get us there at some point, right? If we're, we're suddenly talking about a hundred million dollar fund in Northeast Ohio, that could make sense there. But that's, I think the, the, back to the zero sum game. I think it's treated that way, right? Like I think that everybody sees this like finite pot that can support everything and all that is startup slash entrepreneurial efforts. And it's not really that way, right? It's all needed um, in different ways. When you think through the, the trajectory of some of the companies that you've been able to work with, for the ones that are, you know, breaking through, what do you feel is allowing them to to do that? I think it comes back. I mean, part of it is fundamental, right? Like they've got a good product there that, you know, it's growing. But but you had asked me, I know something about founders mentality and what you look for in a founder, right? And I think that one of the most important qualities a founder needs to have is that they need to be not just able to listen, right, and take advice, but allow other people to do things right and lead and take on roles and and to I always say a founder is always a founder but a founder is not always a CEO right and and you don't have to be you'll you'll still be a founder so the companies that we see growing first of all they're surrounded with great resources right like like in in a lot of cases you know you know their past where we're in you know as influential to them as we are you know we can help them raise money when they get to state but like but they're in other people's hands but but passion's like a tough emotion that I think is underestimated with people. You got to be every founder has to be passionate about what they want to do. But passion can kind of sometimes create blindness, right? Like where you're so passionate about your company and what you're doing that you you can't listen to the, what's on the outside and what you need to do to actually get there. And and you know our Pod Foods group is a is a is a perfect example of this. That you know Larissa and her her co-founder Fiona. You know, they started an organic cookie company and that's what they did. They raised money around it. And then they realized that, you know, distribution in the food business is tough. It's really dominated by three massive players. It's it's pretty archaic. You know, it's about front you know, space. So they realized that there was a huge gap in the market that could be fixed by technology. And I give them a ton of credit. You know, they pivoted the whole company. And instead of leaving 
their investors in the dust. They brought them brought them around, you know, for the for the next ride, so to speak. But you know, that's that's a good example of look. Sometimes what you you're doing isn't working. It doesn't mean it can't right in another way. But but you can't. You know, it's it's tough though, right? Because this is your baby, right? So it's it's tough to not be sensitive to criticism, right? But but it's it's got to be there. And and I think for everyone across the board, humbleness. You know, shucking the egos at the door. You know, we we don't. We don't work with VCs that are too full of themselves, right? We don't work with founders that are too full of themselves. You know, that might ultimately not be the brightest decision, but, you know, life's just a little too short to deal with that. And um, there's plenty. That's the thing that we found is there are so many really good, you know, VCs out there. And I'm not saying that other ones are bad. I don't I don't mean it that way. But there's there's really strong, passionate, you know, it's it's about really getting some amazing things done together. And if you can have that group and you can surround those companies with those types of people, those are the ones that we're seeing hitting these trajectories. But by the way, there's there's also companies that have all those pieces in place that aren't, right? And, and some of it's pandemic-based, right, where you just can't avoid the things that are happening. You know, some of it could be a lot to do, you know, this banking crisis, right? One of the things that, that I, I didn't recognize was a big deal is, you know, we, you think about these banks and that they lend you know, to VCs and to these startup company. But but w- the big piece that I don't know the people in the Midwest are aware of is that there aren't a whole lot of banks that'll lend a startup founder who's not taking a salary money to buy a car, right? Or buy a house. So that was a big role that a number of these banks filled for these, these, found, these, these startup companies. And that's not going to be something that, you know, banks are going to be rushing to take over, right? <laughs> like the non-collateralized loan right and and i don't know how ultimately I, that dust will settle you know but you know something happens in the banking industry every 20 years and guess what we always get through it right like it, it always just happens but i think that's that's a, a big one right is it that, to be able to surround yourself with good people and then be willing to listen to them you know um that's that's probably the biggest thing can you share what the evolution and and you know, where, where you see Akron as an entrepreneurial hub in, in its own journey within the larger region of Northeast Ohio? Yeah. So, you know, we have a tremendous facility and I know a lot of people aren't even aware of it, but the, the Bounce Innovation Hub, which is in Akron, yep. right behind Canal Place, right by where Gojo is. I mean, it's a 300,000 square foot facility. They, they renovated the whole first floor. They got a $4 million I think partial of it was a grant. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a literally a world-class facility. And um, when I bring people here, you know, they're amazed by it. Um, we just got to get people here. Right. Like, and then, and then we also have to surround them with the resources that ultimately leads to success. So they want to come here. You know, Akron's reinvented itself a whole bunch of times. I tease people, but it's, it's not a joke, you know, 80 to hundred years ago, like we were sort of like Akron was like the Silicon Valley of the yeah. United States. I mean, like, like people don't believe me when I say it, but I was like, I mean, honest to God, like the sun, you know, when those tire companies came over here, man, like the sun rose and set um, in our backyard. And the, the really cool thing is, is most of those companies are still here. Right. And, and it's just a matter of how are we going to reinvent ourselves again? And, and it, you know, I think for me, what I struggle, not struggles, not the, what I, what I think would be the best thing is that if we could somehow really package Northeast Ohio as a region, right? Like in, instead of, 
you know, Akron and Canton and Cleveland. How do we just, as a region, we become massively powerful, right? Like we, we are one of the top 10 economies in the country, but for whatever reason, the, the turnpike seems to separate everybody from, from who they are. And, and it's a struggle. It, it, it becomes, it, it, it's a struggle because it doesn't make any sense. You know, you look at places like San Francisco, you know, I, when I go there to do my, my Silicon Valley, like I spent an hour and a half in the car from like San Francisco all the way down to San Jose. They all call themselves Silicon Valley, right? They have no pride of authorship, right? Like it's whether you're in Palo Alto or you're down and that's where it, 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 the, the most brilliant thing we could do is to figure out how to make that happen. Right. Mm. I think because together we would be so much stronger and it's not that we're against each other, but believe it or not, we are half the time. Like it's, it's, it's not a healthy collaborative effort in Northeast Ohio. And, and we're, right. we're winning yeah. in spite of ourselves sometimes, but like it could be so much easier. Yeah. It's somewhat the, the tyranny of small differences that for some reason persists. Yeah, and, and again, look, I don't, I don't think any of it's, I don't think it's intentional, right? It's just, oh, no. but it's, it's to your point of collaboration and, like it, it, it's needed not just with corporate and startups, but geographically is as well. Yeah. It's our biggest challenge probably. What are you most optimistic about looking forward? So you have to be optimistic like every day. So, um, <laughs> so to me, I'm, I'm most optimistic about the fact that I think the pieces are in place, right? Like I, to me, this is super doable and it could be super impactful. And that's what gets us out of bed preaching this thing every day, right? So that that that's what we're most optimistic about is that this could be everything that we we say it could be. But as it becomes the thing we're most optimistic about, like I said before, it's also the thing that you, you almost worry about as much, right? Can you make it happen, right? And that's that's what we'll see, right? We'll see if we can we can execute to the level that we want to. We're making it happen. Um, we just would like to make it happen much bigger. Yeah. Well, it, it all it all resonates the 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 thinking and intention and, and goal here. Uh, so excited to to follow along. I think yeah. in in the journey. Well, and I think I think too. You know, one of our one of our um, our advisors mentioned this too. He's like, he goes, he 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 said it about like he thinks our fund. He's like, look, you guys punch above your weight class, right? Like what you guys are doing in this fund, comparatively speaking. You know, our first fund was six million bucks. It's not a lot, right? So to get into the deals that we've gotten to, you know, are impressive. But I, I tell them, I said, I kind of feel like that's the region in general, right? Like we punch above our weight class. And when you look at the the philanthropic activity in this region compared to the social or the economic base, like it's remarkable, right? It's 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 one of the main, I mean, it's, it's the fundamental, one of the fundamental reasons we did what we did in 2008, because we just saw how passionate people are about supporting things that they love in this community, why not do it and make a ton of money at the same time? But but that's who we are. You know, that that should be our slogan, right? Punch above our weight class, right? Because <laughs> we're always underestimated what we tend to deliver. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. Well, I'll, uh, we'll close it out here with our traditional closing question, um, which is normally for your favorite hidden gem in, in the region, but I'll, I'll make it more specific because I'd, I'd love to hear maybe two that you have one, one for Akron specifically, and then one just more generally. This is also general, but I'm a golfer and, and I, you know, you travel places to play golf, right? Like you, you, people take week long trips and 
I think what this area's regions really underestimated is is the how good a golf is here, right? Like like you could you think about you know if you took a four day trip you could play or a weekday trip like you could you could play so many great golf courses whether you're you go down to Columbus to Muirfield or you come up to Cleveland. And that's one thing when I have people travel from the coast, like they're baffled, right? Like it, it how good a condition they're in, it, it how nice so the clubs are and the people are, you know. So to me, I think that that's something that we don't even appreciate here, right? And then you know you go spend all this money to go on a golf trip someplace, and then you're like, you know, I could have gone down to Canton and played Brookside, and then I could have come up to Cleveland and played Pepper. I mean, you still got to know people. Don't get me wrong, right? But I think that's one of the hidden gems when, especially when I see people that come from California or someplace else, they really appreciate it. I mean, you know, Firestone's a special place, right? And those types of things. As far as Akron specific, and I, and it's also, you know, the Metro Parks in Cleveland are, are a big deal, but but mm. but Akron is really sort of evolving, like developing a culture around this and the towpath that is pretty interesting. They're, they're creating a, like a level three rapids for kayaking, like off of the, oh, wow. the Cuyahoga that's that's it's literally going to be like a destination spot where people are going to travel and you know do the whitewater you know rafting and then they're also going to have kayaking so I don't think anybody would ever pin that on Akron right that that you could go to one of the top whitewater rafting places in the country and it's in Akron uh it, but it was I remember I had a client I worked with in Denver that there's a right off the mouth of um it's just east of Cleveland I guess it's one of the best places to catch steelhead in the world. So this guy would travel from Denver where you'd think if I'm going fly fishing for steelhead, why in the heck would I be coming to Cleveland, Ohio? And he's like, it's best in the world. So there's lots of those little hidden gems around here. I think. Uh, I like those a lot. Thank you for, for sharing. For sure. Yeah. I just want to thank you again, Bill, for, for coming on, for sharing more about the, the work you're doing and, you know, again, kindred thoughts on a lot of these things. So I, I appreciate it. Well, I think, look, I, I'm not just me, but all of us that are in this space, thank you for doing what you're doing, because I think it's uh, it's really important, you know, and as I said, back to listening to um, to Dan Hampu and Daniel Eisenberg, like, the, you know, telling our story, pounding our chest, right? It's not something we're necessarily really good at. This is a really great way for you to help people, right, understand what's actually going on here, because, they, you know, they, they just, they don't understand, we, we don't understand it here, let, right, let alone outside of here. So that's a big piece to success, right? Is making people aware of it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. If people had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the, the best way for them to do so? So you can always go to the website. So interstatefusion.com. It's, it's got a couple links. Like if you're, if you're a, a startup that's, can, you know, thinks that, you know, they might be, we might be an appropriate investor. They can, they can send us, go through the portal to get there. People that are interested in, in investing, there's a separate, you know, we're, we're a closed fund, so we don't, we're not, we're not a public offering, right? So um, we always have to do some background stuff before we can get too involved in a conversation. But, you know, we'd love to talk to anybody that, that um, you know, whether they're interested in making an investment or a fund or interested in figuring out how to support the region better, like it all, it all helps. But we look forward to talking to anybody who's passionate about this. There, these conversations are hard to have with a lot of people if they don't get it, right? So the more people we can talk to that get it, um, the better off we all are. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Bill. This is awesome. Thank you, Jeffrey. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.